Yo, yo. It is uh, May 26th. It's the PFF forecast. It's a Tuesday. Kind of feels like a Monday. Those are the best Mondays, I guess. Although, I'm not going to lie, I felt a little stressed out that we didn't have a regular Monday. Uh, But nonetheless, we are making it happen. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the two quarterbacks that played this weekend on the golf course. We'll talk about the match. We're going to do that at the end, though. Um, And what we're going to do is do a little preview of the AFC East. We're going to look at what happened last year, talk about what to expect this year. So, should be a lot of fun. Let's rock. I have a I have a confession for you before we get started. Uh oh. Yeah. So I, uh, I let me let me tell you my meals in order uh, from this weekend. <laughs> okay. I had I think this is a I would call it a trifecta, but there's four. So like I think I've done I think this might be the most American thing I've ever done. So I had pizza. I had bur- a double cheeseburger. I had brisket and then I had ribs in consecutive days. Wow. Yeah. Proud of um, me. I, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> I um I, I feel like I had like a more George Shahuri weekend than you did. Yeah, you well, it's not hard given what I ate, but uh yeah, it it honestly I felt um I, I felt a little lethargic last night it was it was hard not to but i will say this i hadn't had pizza in a really long time pizza's really good so there we go we're off to a hot start i also just uh, spilled my water everywhere so now i'm also soaking wet so this is great we're off to a good start here i i was doing so my my family is currently at uh our our family farm and i'm in cincinnati doing some work before the summer really gets started so I, I did the thing where, you know, you, you go into a house and you've accumulated food for, you know, months. Right. And like everybody has destinations on eating these things and they never get eaten. So I've spent the last like three days just eating all the food in the house that like no one wanted. <laughs> um, so I think I had like a better food weekend than you because no one wants the healthy food. To bring this back to football. You are the Patriots scavenging the value free agents, Correct. trading back in the first round, out of the first round, um, and and you're going to reap the rewards. I am the New Orleans Saints in the draft. I've traded up with everything. Um, I have not a whole <laughs> lot to show for it besides like a few extra pounds, um, and I I paid for a couple of twenty million dollar pass rushers. Because it's going to get me. It made me feel good in the moment, and uh, with that, we're we're off. Um, let's let's do uh, we'll do the match at the end because I'm excited to hear what you thought of that. I think we both bet on it. Um, I think we're both a little sad by what happened, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, learning experience. So we'll start with the AFC East, and I wanted to ask you this because I was trying to figure it out myself, and I couldn't. What was the most surprising thing about the AFC East for you last year? Oh, I think it's easy. I think that the Jets winning seven games is by far the, okay. the most surprising thing of the entire year. If you look at like, okay, they gave they should have they they should have won week one against uh, Buffalo. If they don't have like a rookie kicker who can't hit the broadside of a barn, they win that game. Then they go three or four games with Luke Falk, right? Then you have that Monday night game where Sam Darnold's seeing ghosts and somehow they finished seven and nine. To me, that is the most surprising thing. Obviously people will point to Buffalo, but Buffalo made the playoffs two years ago. Um, and, you know, the Patriots were the Patriots. And I think everybody expected the Dolphins to do worse than they did. But to me, it's the Jets and the Jets being a top five defensive team. Um, you know, but but also getting seven wins despite Sam Darnold not playing particularly well and not playing for part of the year was it for me. Okay. Um, I have 
I was legitimately surprised by this looking over uh, the notes that we have for this <laughs> this division. I had to read this like three times. Who was the most valuable quarterback in the AFC East last year? Oh, it, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I still, I'm still having trouble like reading that. So it adds up though, right? Because it, it does, it does. Now I went through. So the reason, only reason I got to this point was I went through. By the way, I have the windows open because it's like 100 degrees here, and you can hear church bells. I'm sure in the background. You're welcome. Um, I don't know who's ringing them though, because you know essential workers only. Um, I went through multiple stages here. So first, I said. You know, the most surprising thing about this division last year was the Bills and how good they were. But then, honestly, looking back, like, the Bills are a very strong roster. And that, ultimately, yeah, they won 10 games. That was more than you'd expect. But not not that surprising. Like, I think, you know, you could have seen it coming. The Jets, obviously going 7-9 and nine was surprising. But that was mostly after Sam Darnold got mono, right? Like, that obviously hurts. The Patriots went 12 and four and it felt like they went seven and nine because of how everything ended. Um, and that to me was surprising that they ended up with 12 wins, but felt that poorly. But then I came to the dolphins and I go, you know, what was really surprising about the dolphins. They were being, they were being put below like three sec teams on people's power rankings after week five. Right. And ultimately in week 17, we're a pretty like, competitive football team, right? I mean, they beat the Patriots. And to On the me, road. The, yeah, to me, the, the Dolphins were one of the more surprising teams. And I looked at this and I go, well, no, no shit they were. Brian Fitzpatrick was the most valuable QB in the AFC East. I, I, saying that, it almost, I almost can't get it out. Yeah, and well, and that was, you know, despite a roster. I mean, we we were on. I can't remember what it was, what the actual spread, but was we were on Miami, what plus fourteen and a half, maybe on that Monday night game against Mason Rudolph and the Steelers. Can, and it's can sort we just of you say that, that you could just call last season like Miami plus fourteen and a half, and that right. would sum it I mean, up for me. Yeah, because like it's funny because you know we were on them plus sixteen, I think, against the Chargers, and they didn't cover that. Right. Um, we were on and we wrote that one up and then we were on them plus 14 plus 14 and a half on Monday Night football. They get a 14 nothing lead. And then like they legitimately tried to tank the second part of that. Fitzpatrick in two games that we had the uh, the Dolphins in double digit underdogs. Fitzpatrick was like had the fumbled the ball and the ball's laying there for the other team to return. Remember the Micah Hyde return onside I mean, kick against the Bills? Like they were like they flirted with like not covering, you know, double digit multiple touchdown spreads for like the first half of the year, and then in the second half of the year, I mean, they had that really great thriller against the Bengals, which was one of the best games of the season. No one watched. Um, they had obviously they went ahead and beat, uh, you know, they did my Kansas City Chiefs a favor and beat New England in, in Week 17. They beat Philadelphia, right? They came back from two touchdowns down to beat Philadelphia, a playoff team, in the mm -hmm. second half of the year. Uh, you know, they were, they were interesting, right? And then they beat the Jets. You know, they beat, they were, their first win was against the Jets, a team that ended up finishing seven and nine. They went over their four and a half season win total. And almost all of it, if you look at like, you know, three and 13 team to five and 11, almost all of it was the two wins above replacement that Ryan Fitzpatrick got them in his 13 starts. Yeah. So I, I want to come back to the Bills and the Patriots in a second, but to close out this Dolphins talk, there's more looking ahead. There is a lot to be excited about if you're the Dolphins. So Devontae Parker, yeah. you know, we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously. Devontae Parker was the most valuable non-quarterback in the, in the AFC East. Like, there are a lot of things. You then bring in Tua. I'll make this claim and people will get really angry at me in Buffalo and in New York. But the Dolphins have a strong case for having the two best quarterbacks. Right. In, the in best this quarterback situation, I think, is pretty clear. Certainly, and then yeah. you look at their draft, and yeah, the reason that I maybe we're not as excited is because Austin Jackson and Noah Igbenogany are kind of projects. However, they're every first rounder is a project, and like you mm -hmm. should not put way too much stock in how a team drafts looking at this year. So I look at the free agents additions: Byron Jones and Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, 
Um, you bring in Curtis Weaver late in the draft, who's a guy that can probably start rushing the passer immediately. Like there is a pathway by which the Dolphins, who are plus 800 to win this division, an implied probability about 11%, uh, come away with with a division title. I, I think that might be my favorite of the long shot bets. Malcolm um, Perry, uh, the the Navy quarterback, who's you know a good runner. This is to me the funnest funniest thing. So. The Dolphins' leading rusher last year was Ryan Fitzpatrick with 243 yards. I, that, I have to look back. That's got to be like one of the lowest leading rusher totals in the history. They're, they had one running back go over 200 yards rushing last year, and it was Mark Walton at 201. But, you know, I, they're obviously to the degree of like we, we like Flores and we like, you know, what, what, how he's constructing this defense, how he's – but it also is pretty cool that they like did not try to establish the run last year, right? They just like mm-hmm. they said if we're well, going to win football games, it's going to be because Ryan Fitzpatrick drops back to throw and he plays pretty well. Uh, and as we've said a number of times on this show, you have a show, hard time. You have a hard time running the ball when you're down twenty-one to start the game. Sure, sure, but like, but they weren't down twenty-one to start the game in the second half of the season, and it still sure. didn't like they were running out Patrick Laird um, and. To me, it's like, okay, we look at this, the probability that the Dolphins have at least a good quarterback is so much higher now that they have Tua and Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. in the fold mm-hmm. because you can just sort of interchange them, right? And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's really like when you look at this division, there's a lot of concern about whether their defensive players will assimilate quick enough with the pandemic. But on offense, I think that they'll be more than good enough. Uh, you know, Albert Wilson's a pretty good player. Gasecki turned into a really, you know, a solid player in the second half of the season, one of the most valuable players. Joaquin Grant's a pretty good, like, all-around return man, runner of the football. And then you put a guy like Malcolm Perry in there, you know, as kind of like a, a you know, a, a rich man's Taysom Hill, frankly. And you have, you know, I think the makings of a halfway decent well, offense. Why and that's the really Taysom what's Hill win. hatred? I mean, it, it, well, because uh, Malcolm Perry's good. He's cheaper too. Um, Here's the interesting thing about Fitzpatrick. Uh, His PFF grade from a clean pocket was fifth in the NFL. The issue was that they really struggled to pass protect. His average time to throw was below league average, about 2.6. His pressure rate was near 40%. So, I mean, obviously Tua in that situation, you almost like cringe hearing that. But if they can patch some things together – what you said is totally correct, right? The best QB situation that goes a long way. And then I, I think it's, you know, I think it's worth now talking about how much better, how much better does Stefan Diggs make the Buffalo bills? Because the Patriots obviously get worse, probably way worse, right? Brady was 1.97 wins above replacement last year in one of his worst seasons that he's had. And you can't imagine Jared Sidham does that much, uh, much better, but like, here was how I was kind of trying to wrap my head around this because the Bills and the Patriots are basically, they basically have the same odds on betonline.ag to win. Um, which one of these teams has the, the highest floor? And like, isn't it the Patriots still? No. 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 See, okay. Here's my thing. So, and I, I wrote about this for the site. I think it'll go up like Wednesday, tomorrow or something. Um, the Patriots had a bunch of whammies this offseason. They lose Tom Brady. They lose Jamie Collins. They lose Kyle Van Noy. They lose, D- lose Danny Sheldon. They okay. lose Deron Harmon. They lose Dante Scarnecchia, who is the only offensive line coach who is worth whose offensive who's overseen offensive lines worth a win above replace. Like he his average offensive line is worth a third of a win more than any other line coach in our database. <laughs> And, like, most of the time that guy doesn't matter, but he's, like, the one outlier of among all of them. And so I think when you look at that offense a season ago, I'm going to give Brady more credit than maybe some people. Like, Mohamed Sanu was a, a replacement-level player after he joined. Um, obviously, like, Nikhil Harry wasn't good. They didn't have a tight end to speak of. They still don't really have a tight end to speak of. Edelman was fine, but... You put Brady and Skarnacki have probably covered up a lot of sins on along that offensive line. And so you put Stidham in there, and I don't think it's going to be only the fact that Stidham is probably not nearly as accurate. He's not, he doesn't process as well, or all he doesn't have the arm strength, all that kind of stuff. 
it's going to be like the offense is going to crumble around him because he probably doesn't even protect his offensive line nearly as well as Brady did. Like, how does that team move the football, George? I, I don't know. Like, Here, and, here's and what offense I was thinking is about. Wins. I was trying to think about this, too. I was like, if you always figure that Bill Belichick knows something that you don't. And last year, what he knew that, well, maybe we didn't quite fully understand was how great his his defense was going to be. Yeah. And maybe he overlooked, you know, the offensive side of the ball. And I'm trying to figure out what the thing is that we are overlooking that he knows. It has to be on the offensive side of the ball because, like, it was Julian Edelman so banged up last year that it totally destroyed their whole offensive system. And he, and all Jared Siddham has to do is be a, like, breathing human quarterback in order to take advantage of the fact that Edelman will now be at full strength or like Nikhil Harry was actually playing on a broken ankle with like a thumb that needed amputating or something. Like I I have no idea because you can't, you can't look at how bad the offense was last year with Tom Brady and go, yeah, we're still going to be competitive subbing Jared Stidham in for Tom Brady, unless you know something that we don't. So maybe they know something about Jared Stidham that we don't like. I've heard people talk about how, Jared Stidham never really got a chance to show what he was all about in college because of the whole transfer thing. And, um, you know, when he came to Auburn, he only had a small time to, to actually get acclimated. He probably never really got acclimated. Like, I, I don't, I'm not overreading. I'm not overlooking those, th- you know, trying to, to look into those more than I need to. But, like, is there something, if there was one thing that, ta- that Bill Belichick knows that we don't, what do you think it is? Here's the thing. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think I'm, I'm the biggest supporter of Belichick, which is why I'm not betting my life savings on under nine and a half wins right now for that team. But like this is we've done this song and dance before. We all, we said, OK, well, what was Belichick thinking when he drafted Sonny Michelle? Right. And uh, it was just kind of a mistake. Right. There was no underlying like reasoning to it. Um you know, everybody's going to point to the 2008 Patriots, you know, when Castle took over for Brady after he was hurt. But I can assure you that's a different situation. That team had Wes Welker, 111 catches, right? And Randy Moss, 69 catches, 11 touchdowns. Their third receiver, Jabbar Gaffney, would have been better. <laughs> it's probably better than any receiver uh, aside from Julian Edelman on this current team. And they had Ben Watson, who... Like, Ben Watson was on the team last year that stunk on offense. And, like, and then offensive line was a lot better. To me, like, I look at this and I'm like, I just, to, it looks like a tank situation. And it looks like they're just trying to, you know, save, I have a brave face right now. And, and but they don't have any cap space. They have 750000 in cap space. They don't have a good offensive line or any playmakers. And yeah, their defense is good, but a lot of those ancillary pieces are going to be rookies the, of the Kyle Duggar and the Josh Yushi uh, type, and and their and their schedule is a lot harder than it was last year. We saw once the schedule ticked up, once they had Houston, once they had Baltimore, once they had Kansas City, and then eventually once they had the Dolphins, they couldn't win. Um, I don't know, man. Like I I don't think you could pay me enough to bet the over on New England as good as Belichick is. And as good, at, you know, as much as I respect him, I just, I just don't see it this year. No, I, I'm right there with you. And I, if I'm looking at, I mean, I had to check these twice, looking at the odds to win the division. So Buffalo's plus one twenty five; they're the favorite. The England, uh, New England Patriots plus one thirty. So about forty four percent chance implied probability of the Bills winning forty three for the Patriots. And that just feels when you say forty three percent chance the Patriots win, and you look at that offense. You know, man, are you serious? Um, like, it's so hard for me to see that. And I know, and that's giving Bill Belichick a ton of credit. Like, Bill Belichick didn't, he wasn't like a bad coach last year. They lost with Tom Brady to the Miami Dolphins in a game they had to win. Like, they lost at home in the playoffs to, to Ryan Tannehill. Like, and I know Ryan Tannehill was good last year. But, like, those things, it wasn't like he wasn't trying to coach in those games. And there's just – I just can't understand how Jared Siddham can come in and be better than Tom Brady right off the bat. I, like, it just doesn't And there's a really good me. chance he has to be better than, he, than Brady was a season ago. Because, 
the, the schedule everything is else is 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 worse or harder right the schedule is tougher there's no way that they get the kind of turnover uh variance that they got last season um the rest of the division i think is more stout you're not going to get i mean last season they got the dolphins i believe like it was a week two so they got the dolphins when the dolphins were in full tank mode they got the jets with uh luke falk i believe um you know they they had a lot of like you know benefits and then the funniest thing so they played the nfc east last season which was terrible they got the redskins when they started colt mccoy remember when that happened uh, there was colt mccoy's like one start in the last like three years right. they, they caught them there they got the eagles in a game that was like during the right when they're all the receivers were injured and the weather was bad they, they caught the cowboys one of the best offenses in the entire nfl in a monsoon you know they had a ton of advantages last year and they they had one of the, they held one of the best offenses in the NFL a season ago the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs to 14 points like they did a tremendous job defensively i don't care what people the people will talk about how great Derrick Henry was but they held that offense to tw- you know 14 offensive points and they weren't good enough with Tom Brady to win right <laughs> you know and Remember, he threw the pick six at the end there. That's why. Like, That's why it got to twenty. But yeah. yeah. So um, I just, you know, it's hard. And I, and again, like this is a situation where like people have gone broke betting against the Patriots for the last twenty years. So far be it for me to say, look, lay the minus one eighty to bet them under nine and a half. Like I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it can't. Your your reasoning for this division cannot be well. It's the Patriots. Right. You have to look at the underlying fundamentals and ask yourself, is this where the right regime shift is? And I think I think yes has to be the answer. I think. Yeah. If you want to bet them under nine, it's minus one thirty. And like I could I, I could honestly see it moving even down to eight and a half, because to me, that's, again, one of the like one of the most obvious um uh, plays in this whole division, and I, I mean, so I mean, one thirty is probably. I mean, one thirty is a good minus one thirty on under nine is a good bet. I'm not yes. saying you know put the farm on it. I'm just saying like it's one of those where you can't don't bet the Patriots plus one thirty five to win the AFC East like just because of the Patriots. You got to find it every year. Yeah. You you have to find a reason why that's a good bet, and I think. There's a ton of reasons why it's a bad bet, and it, it, it offers a ton of opportunity because you know people like us. I think we're a little bit lower. We have every team in that division projected for basically fewer than eight wins. Buffalo is our favorite to win the division, but we are also lower on Buffalo than most. So yeah. if you want to fade the Bills, as you talked about earlier, the Dolphins are a good play. Not only to win, not only to win the division, but to make the playoffs, you're at, you're talking about a plus 400 play, which I wrote about the other day. The Jets are also one. If you think about, you know, Adam Gase in Adam Gase early on in Miami, got some teams that weren't that good to win 10 or six, you know, 10 or so or so games. You know, he's in the second season with, uh, you know, with Darnold, Darnold's healthy. They actually, I think had a decent first three rounds of the draft but but the the play here, if you're going to fade Buffalo, is not New England. It's the rest of the division because you get a a far bigger payout, and uh, you probably get an opportunity should one of those teams get hot early to sort of hedge bets later on in the in the season. The um, the New England Patriots are just fascinating because my thought on it is they're never gonna they're never gonna tank. They're never gonna do things the way I think a conventional team or conventional wisdom would do things. So this may be their way of tanking. They're going to say, look, we're going to go out here and we're going to put a team on the field that hinges on a quarterback. Now, it doesn't hinge on a quarterback being decent, which I thought was a really good point, right? Like, Jared Sinem's going to have to be really good for this offense to be decent. And if he's not, they're going to be really bad. And that gives you an opportunity to pseudo-tank. To be bad enough to where your first round pick, it's not in the 20s. You all of a sudden have a, high, a decently high pick. You can go get a quarterback. You can trade up. Like, you can make some plays. Whereas if you're at, like, 28, you know, you just don't have that shot. 
And I think that's why, that's maybe why they haven't, you know, attempted to go, not to mention the cap, but like haven't attempted to go get another quarterback is because when you know a lot about a quarterback, you don't have that opportunity to hit the high end of variance. Now, sure, you know nothing about Jared Siddham and there's no reason to believe he's going to be any good, but at least you don't know anything yet. And it gives you a chance to kind of tank. Whereas some other quarterbacks like an Andy Dalton, he's going to be good enough to where your tank job isn't quite as bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the only that's really the only way I yeah, can see this I mean, making sense. But like all the narratives, like the, the thing about it is this is this is littered with narratives. The narrative is that, you know, Belichick is doing something that we don't think is optimal. What's the what's the reason? You know, like why is Sony Michelle drafted in round one? And it and it could just be look like he made yeah. a mistake, or he's not thinking optimally in this case, or yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's or he probably, really likes Jared Stidham. He really likes Jared Stidham, and there's and, and here's the thing, what, you know, oh man, he's going to want to beat Tom Brady this year. It's like for what? Belichick, Belichick has been one of the most successful coaches in NFL history. Even if like he he and he's not won before he, he when in Cleveland he had three or four losing seasons before he had a winning season he won with Vinny Testaverde uh you know a playoff game even against Bill Parcells he was the best defensive coordinator in league history before he was the Browns coach like there's plenty on his resume to suggest that he doesn't need Tom Brady the idea that he's going to try to like forego the future to win nine or ten games this season I think is absurd and and people are like, well, he's super ultra competitive. Yeah, he wants to win the war. Winning the war yep. is being a, being a team that is capable of drafting Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence next season while Tom Brady is on the last legs in Tampa Bay. It, this season means much more to Tom Brady than it does to Bill Belichick. So well, all of the, the narrative, because Tom Brady's shelf life is finite. And, and that's the point. Belichick's Great. going to coach for a number more, a, a bunch of more seasons. And this one particular year, he's already shown he could win 11 games without Brady, right? He, he doesn't have, like, all these narratives about the Patriots, I think, are wrong. And and look, they can win nine or 10 games and I can look like a fool, but I, I'm not betting on that, you know, just because people want it to be true. Well, Brady made a choice that was so clearly win now that it almost makes sense for Belichick to be like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try and play that game because I don't have the horses. Um, it's still worth noting, like, they do have a very good defense. You know, I think if they were going, you know, full-out tank, I mean, Stephon Gilmore is fantastic. He was very nearly the most valuable um, defensive player had it not been for Jamal Adams on the Jets last season. And, you know, that defense is still going to be really good, which makes me think that – you know, he believes maybe erroneously so in the, in the ability for his defense to control things. That being said, in this division where you don't have, you know, this is not the NFC South. Like, you know, maybe there is a chance. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little confused by the Patriots. I think we should move on though. Let's talk about the Bills a little bit here. Do the Bills? So I, I was saying to myself, you know, the Bills actually have a pretty you know, a pretty wide variance of outcomes here because of Josh Allen and because of Stefan Diggs and how much could Stefan Diggs potentially help Josh Allen. You wrote about Josh Allen last week. Um, like, is there, have you seen worlds? Is there a world that exists where Stefan Diggs makes Josh Allen a much better quarterback? Uh, I think results wise, certainly. I mean, last season we saw Kirk Cousins, who I think is a much better quarterback than Josh Allen have success, um, but it, I don't think that that success is anything people are rushing to the door to bet, you know? Um, so could he catch more deep passes? Absolutely. Um, could he entice the Bills to throw the ball more deeply? Yes, which we've seen is a bad thing for them, given Allen's in- inaccuracy there. Uh, he will help this offense, I think, if everything else is equal. I think Allen, when you look at sort of when people talk about the Bills offense, they were like, well, he scored this many touchdowns. He scored that many touchdowns. Well, he had six touchdowns on design runs, which, mm-hmm. you know, is probably not going to be something that repeats itself. He fumbled almost as many times as he scored a touchdown on design runs. 
Uh, he, he was decent on scrambles, but we know that that's a little bit inconsistent year to year. And he was a negative expected value player when not throwing the ball in case, you know, sacks, scrambles, all that kind of stuff. So is Stefan Diggs, and this is the bet the Bills are making, and the Bills are a very smart uh, organization. The, the, the bet the Bills are making is, look, can Stefan Diggs curb the inevitable regression of Josh Allen in year three? And I think the answer is maybe. Um, but then you have to look at the rest of the roster and say, well, okay, but then if the Bills' defense regresses, then what happens? If, uh, you know, Devin Singletary doesn't play as well or the offensive line doesn't co- you know, coalesce quite as well, then is it all a net, uh, you know, is all a net negative? Uh, and, and that's why our, our models are saying, well, look, like the Bills' win total is eight and a half. We're a little under that. Um, you know, we're still wait and see on the fundamentals of Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking at some of the advanced charting stuff for Josh Allen and I mean, the accuracy, we've talked about it. He had the highest rate of uncatchable throws in the NFL last season. And a place that, you know, I think is a little concerning is what happened, you know, when you're designing, when you're a smart organization, your thought is, okay, like we're going to get some first read throws that can, that can be valuable. And last season, their EPA per play when he made a read, uh, when he took his first read, was about a fourth of the NFL average. So can Stephon Diggs come in there and they have they had receivers who were great, like number two guys. Can he be a guy that helps Josh Allen say, you know what, I have a lot more confidence going to my first read and that guy's just going to be open more often and that results in a lot more value on those design plays? Like, I think the answer could be yes. The tough thing is it doesn't matter how open a guy is if you're going to be inaccurate because ultimately if you're inaccurate, even if the guy is able to go make a catch, you're still leaving a ton of value on the field. And that's mm-hmm. something that, that Allen just like, that's simply a place where he struggles. He has just been one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks throwing the ball downfield. And it puts a ceiling on his completion percentage. You know, if you're 26% of your passes are uncatchable inaccurate, then you know, you're, I mean, you're, if every other catchable ball is caught, then you're, you're at Drew Brees level, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, good, but like any drops, right? And, and Diggs has had his drops in Minnesota. Uh, obviously, Brown has had his drops. Beasley uh, is usually pretty sure handed, but then you, you know, you don't have great tight ends or receivers in terms of uh, pass catching, or sorry, tight ends or backs in terms of pass catching. Um, you know, you just put a ceiling on your offense when you're as inaccurate he's, as he can be, uh, and that's and that's troubling. And so he's going to have to be fundamentally more accurate. Last season, he led the league in percentage of dropbacks that earned a negatively graded uh, designation by our, you know, our analysts. So we just haven't seen that. Ha- I mean, the only time that we've seen a player emerge from that group and be good is Ryan Tannehill, and Tannehill switched offenses he switched offensive coordinators. They had one of the cushiest situations for a quarterback. And the Bills already did that for Allen. You know, it's not going to get a whole lot more cushy for Allen. So he's probably going to fall into that category where we're like, look, he just makes too many negative plays. And, you know, Bills fans will talk to you about, well, he limited turnovers the second half of the season. And all of that's true. But he had 14 fumbles and only four were recovered by the other team. Uh, if that regresses to the league average, that's three more turnovers during the course of the year. It doesn't seem like much, but when you have to come come from behind in victories against Cincinnati, against the Jets, against the Duck Hodges Steelers, those turnovers matter. Uh, and then when you have to play actually good teams, which I think the Jets will improve this year, the Dolphins will improve this year, then that's not going to be good enough to win. You know, otherwise bad games that you play. So I don't know, man. I. I'm not bet, I'm not rushing to bet the Bills to win the division. I think I got them a little bit at plus 160 earlier in the offseason before the Brady stuff. I think yeah. that's a good number. Plus 125 to me is just too short, and, and I just don't think you're going to be able to get value there. Yeah, so we have um, the Bills at about 32% to win the division. Let me ask you this, though, because you mentioned – I think this is really interesting. You mentioned changing offenses. When Josh Allen and, and Lamar Jackson both came into the league, the question with each of them was, okay, they have deficiencies from an accuracy perspective. And Lamar Jackson was way more accurate using our ball location charting than Josh Allen was last year. 
is there can they change the offense enough? Now, obviously, Josh Allen is not Lamar Jackson in a lot of ways, but he's pretty good carrying the football. Like, do you lean into that more? And do you say, okay, we now are going to play, we're going we're gonna to create these open throws down the seams. We have Stephon Diggs who can get open. Um, he's obviously, you know, he, he's better than, than Marquise Brown, for example. I don't know if they have the same tight end talent, but like, do you kind of lean into that thing, change the offense significantly and say, look, this is what we're going to be going forward. Like, I wouldn't rule that out. If they're that smart of an organization, you, you would figure they've at least thought about something like that. I mean, they, they changed their offense significantly last year. Uh, you, Josh Allen still threw the ball deep a lot, but like the year prior, it was an astronomically high number. I want to say it was like 24%. I'll pull it up here. Um, he threw the ball 20 plus yards downfield. Uh, where is it? Oh, I'm on the wrong quarterback. Um, but you know, like that was something that they changed yeah. dramatically last year already. And I don't know why they wouldn't just say, you know, maybe we can do it again. So it went from 20% to 15%. Um, I think 20% led the league when he was a rookie. The, the comparisons though, from Allen's a good athlete. He runs the ball well, but the comparison with between him and Lamar Jackson is just simply oh, not there. No, it's not. I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to compare them. I'm trying to say, could you do some things that are similar? Yeah. And really, what you're doing is you're saying they ran the ball and designed runs. Now you're not going to be the the difference is the ceiling is way lower, right? When you mm-hmm. run a design run with Lamar Jackson, like the sky is the limit. When you're doing it with Josh Allen, you're you're living in a one bedroom flat, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> right? Like it's just well, it's the, a different thing. It, it, well, it's, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills offense has to pay a mortgage because of Josh Allen. And the, the Baltimore Ravens offense has a paid for house because of his ability to his ability to gain early yards on early downs before contact. Allen had almost as many it's like 100 yards less or whatever on designed runs or sorry, on, on scrambles than, than Lamar. Did. Like mm-hmm. on design passes, Jackson was the only one of, I believe, just one quarterback in the NFL who had positive EPA on dropbacks that did not result in a thrown pass. And it was him. And then Allen was like third or fourth, but it was still negative. But they were both like effective on scrambles, on broken down plays. Allen had like 600 fewer yards on designed runs than Lamar Jackson. So he's got so much further to go um, because offensive line isn't quite as good. He's not nearly as athletic. Um, and that offense isn't, I don't think, I think Dable is a, probably a fine offensive coordinator. He's not as good uh, as Roman. So I just don't know if that's in the repertoire. Um, but what the Bills do have that, that Baltimore simply doesn't have is a Stephon Diggs, a, a moneymaker at the receiver position that can sort of make plays all around the field, short, intermediate. But even then, like if we saw with the Minnesota Vikings in 2018, when Diggs is used predominantly on short passes, which is like what Buffalo tried to deploy a lot last year, the offense still, that Vikings offense was in the bottom 12 of the league in terms of yards per play, which is where exactly where Buffalo was, right? So they're going to have to make a concerted effort to use play action, to use boot stuff, the, the Kubiak stuff that the Vikings used with Allen. And I just don't know, like Allen just doesn't have that downfield accuracy that Cousins has. Right. I mean, that, that's the thing. Stephon Diggs last year, I want to say it was in the top five in yards off play action. They made a concerted effort to run a lot of play action, a lot of boot action to give what it does. And we say this all the time, like play action is all about time from a clean pocket. It increases that amount of time where the quarterback can still look downfield and it gives your receiver more time to win. And the more time you have to cover, the harder chance you're going to have to be successful. So if they can leverage some of that, Stephon Diggs will get open. Now, you still have to put the ball in the money, but you have a little more room for error when a guy is wide open yep. as opposed to, you know, John Brown with the guy in his hip pocket or Cole Beasley with the guy in his hip pocket. So, like, that's worth thinking about. They also have, you know, a really solid infrastructure of, you know, the defense is very good. They've prioritized coverage and they make a lot of smart decisions on, you know, fourth downs and stuff like that. So, there are some ways that they can win above mm-hmm. what Josh Allen would get you on like an average NFL team which I, and they're, you know, they're pretty good in the kicking game they're pretty good um on the returns and stuff they're you know as you said the secondary Hyde was their second most valuable player this season uh Tredavious White's awesome Poyer's good they brought in like here's the stuff that I kind of like about them 
So they're, they're, they brought in a guy like, they brought in, um, you know, a guy like uh, Josh Norman, who used to play for McDermott in Carolina. He was terrible in Washington for the majority of the time, but he could probably have some value. We've seen cornerback play yo-yo and really situation is a key determiner there. So if he comes in and plays 70% of what he was in Carolina, that's a really good come up for their secondary. They did lose Kevin Johnson, who, you know, is a player, um, but they, they, but they did acquire, you know, sort of Mario Addison, AJ Klein, Vernon Butler, Tyler Matakevich from, uh, you know, Temple. And then in the draft, I really do like what they did in the draft, despite not having a first round pick. AJ Epineza would have been a first round pick if, the season was wiped out last year, right? Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. plays the season, he struggles, so then they get him as a sort of reduced rate. That's awesome. Zach Moss is a is a really good running back, and they and they didn't have to draft him in the second round like seemingly every other team thought they had to with the running back. And then Gabriel Davis out of UCF is very much like a like a down that like he reminds me of like you know former Bears and by Marcus Robinson, who was just like a downfield jump ball guy. And sometimes a quarterback with bad accuracy can use a guy like that just to kind of win a win a jump ball or two a game. Uh, and he, so I think they did a really good job in the in free agency and the draft. It's it's the thing with Buffalo is I think you and I are going to praise them forever for almost everything, and then Josh Allen's always going to be the question mark, the thing that holds them back. All right, the the New York Jets. So you mentioned how much you were surprised by them going seven and nine. I bet that would be one of the most miss construed or uh, misforgotten records if you asked NFL fans, like name the record. How many wins did every team in the NFL have last year? And you can get a lot of people that said the Jets had four. Um, but they also have Jamal Adams, at least currently, still on their team. And from what I've read, it seems like I really don't think they're actually going to get rid of him. I'd be most surprised of, if they traded him. Yeah. Um, most valuable uh, non-QB in the AFC East in terms of wins above replacement. And then Sam Darnold, who, like, I don't want to give the guy a pa- I never want to be the guy that's like, you know what? Dude got mono, like, cut, you know, like, totally unlucky because, you know, you got to deal with these things. But, he, like, the fact of the matter is you should never, you know, you shouldn't overvalue what's happened last season, whether really good or really bad, because there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that those things can change ever so slightly, and all of a sudden, a bad situation becomes a pretty decent situation. And look, the guy was still a top three pick, right? He was still a guy that was being considered going number one. He was our highest graded quarterback in the last four weeks of his rookie season. Like, right? You know, there's that too. I mean, he's he's had he's had bouts of being good. Um, he beat and, Dallas last year. I mean, he did, there's yeah. there's a lot there's there's a decent amount. He only he averaged he's averaged six point nine yards per pass attempt, which isn't great, but it's higher than Josh Allen the last two years in similar weather. You know, with similar and yeah, it hasn't exactly had great receivers. He hasn't exactly had you know great infrastructure around him. Um, and then you look at what they did in the draft. Mackay Becton is not great, but you know, it, not the best prospect they could have gone with. But that's an offensive line player. They went with George Fant, Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten in free agency. Like they're those, none of those offensive linemen are great, but some subset of them might end up being okay, uh, you know, and, and better than what they've dealt with before. And then you know they did lose Robbie Anderson, but you get Denzel Mims in the draft, a guy our, our friend Sam Monson likes a lot. Uh, Rashad Perriman, uh, Jamison Crowder had a pretty good season last year. I, you know. I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying the Jets are going to be great, but in this division, they just don't have to be bad, and they can compete. So here's some here's some optimism for the Jets. Um, they lose Robbie Anderson, sure, but Donald was miserable from an accuracy standpoint, throwing 20 plus yards downfield. You get Denzel Mims, maybe he's able to help you win in the intermediate a little bit more. In terms of percentage of throws that were deemed accurate, so that's either basically on the receiver's frame or in a perfect position. He was above average last year. He was in the top 10 in terms of perfect ball location throws. So, like, there are some things to really like. And I'd also look – I look again at, at first read stuff. The NFL average quarterback goes their first read about 70% of the time. It, Donald was at, like, 60%. So, there was clearly 
a lack of like offensive cohesiveness there Mm -hmm. where he wasn't able to get the ball to where he was looking to go to. And as a result, his average time to throw above the league average, he was under pressure over 40% of the time. Like there's a lot of things that can regress back to league average that can help him a lot. Not to mention like, was the new England game like the worst game that like any quarterback played last season? I mean, that Mm -hmm. was like, it's so funny. I'm looking at the quarterback annual right now. Um, which, by the way, is a great thing to have in the offseason if you're preparing for the regular season. You can get it with a PFF subscription. Um, his New England game is like it breaks the page. <laughs> you can't see it because it's so low. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you well, just take that game out. Like, that just doesn't happen again, and all of a sudden it's like a way better season. Well, you look, you look from week nine on, and again, you can't do this, right? You can't always say, like, this, this, is, this is us ripping on, you know, Buffalo Bills. Right. Which, you know, fans, right? But you look from week nine on, they won what? They went six and two, right, as a team. And Darnold was the 13th highest graded quarterback during that stretch. Mm-hmm. He graded higher from week nine to week 17 than Baker Mayfield, than Jared Goff, than Aaron Rodgers, than Tom Brady, than Deshaun Watson, than Dak Prescott, than Gardner Minshew, than Jameis Winston Rivers, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz. Like, from the, you know, and he didn't, you know, there are guys ahead of him that are a little surprising, namely, Dwayne Haskins, Mitch Trubisky, you know, so the, the, you know, splits matter a little bit and Darnold in the sec, literally half a season. So the second half of the season graded in a, as an above average quarterback. If he does that, if he's the 13th highest graded quarterback in 2020, what's the probability that the Jets win the division? Okay. Now counterpoint. So I think it's, it's a, a decent percentage, but counterpoint to that is it's always easy to uh to perform well when like no one cares anymore you know sure, 100%. Like, and and that's the thing you mentioned the the two times that you've mentioned he's played well you know last four games of his rookie season uh last you know eight games of last year it didn't matter at that point right like it just didn't and it's always easier to perform in those situations that being said i'm not sure they've ever gone into a season week one and been like we have a shot you know, like obviously the mono thing last year, the, they were terrible the year before. So like this is probably the first year where you go into week one. Now, who knows? Because like week one this year, um, although it's being reported that coaches might be in the facilities in, in a week or so, and they still think fans are going to be at the game. So and I, I have an idea on that in a second. But like this is a, mar- a markedly better start so far than what they could than what they've had the past two seasons. And right. that gives you some hope there for Sam Donald. I'll also mention like the Mackay Becton pick. You talk about types of prospects. The reason we don't like that pick there is because there's, you just don't know. He did not have a lot of true pass sets. He had very few pass sets. that are going to look like what he's going to have in the NFL. So while you say, yeah, this guy's as physically a freak as we've seen, you still haven't seen him do what he's going to be asked to do. And so he could be great, but he could be a disaster. And that's why it's, it's a questionable pick in the first round. You have Denzel Mims and Ashton Davis, who I thought were much stronger in terms of what you'd project to get from them. So you could, if Makai Becton ends up being that guy that actually can do it and just wasn't given the chance, where you go, oh, this is a team that could win the division. And that's why, if I look at this, and I'll ask you this here in a second, this division is as close from top to bottom as I think you have out there. And if I'm going to place a bet, and I have already, um, it's going to be on the Dolphins and the Jets at plus 800 instead of either of the two favorites. 100%. And, um, and, and, you know, hopefully you got some on Buffalo when they were not the favorite, when they were, you know, significantly lower. Um, and that way you're basically just fading New England. But currently the only bets you can make uh, are those for, uh, you know, the two, the two underdogs and, if you don't want to bet them to win a division, you can bet them to make the playoffs. And in a seven-team format, I think that there's a lot. I, I don't think that that's necessarily as baked in to the to the numbers. You know, there's some opportunity here that I don't think will be available in subsequent years. All right, uh, real real quick, who's the most valuable player in this division when we're talking about this next year? Uh, Tua Tungavalo. I like it. That's who I was going to say too, but I might go with. Uh... I might go with Ryan Fitzpatrick running it back. The the most important player in this division is Sam Darnold. The the most valuable player. The the most 
if Sam Darnold turns out to have, if Sam Darnold turns out to perform like an, uh, like Matt Ryan or so, like a third round pick, right. Or third overall pick, the division changes overnight, but I, like I don't see it happening all that. I don't see it happening very often, but he's the most important one, but the bet on who will be the most valuable is going to be Tua because of, you know, the unknown. I'm going to go with you. I agree with you there. Actually, I, I like that a lot. Um, Okay, let's get to the match here. Real quick, though, my thought on the, the league saying they're still going to have fans coming to games is their tact has been so far, we're not going to say something isn't that we're planning on happening, having happening. Um, I can't speak. We're not going to change something that we're, we have planned until we absolutely have to because the second we start backing off, we start this avalanche starts occurring of everything gets postponed and, and nothing can remain in place. So while it's concerning in the sense that I can't see a way in which fans are playing or fans are at the games while, while players are playing, it does give, give me some hope that this at least strategy has worked so far. Yeah. Um, I think you and I are both on the record saying that we think the most likely outcome is that the season plays on time, but without fans, I still am of that belief. Um, but it's interesting that the, the public – I think the public might be far more open to the idea of an increased risk than maybe you and I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And and I think the NFL is taking cues from that. And if that means that there are fans in the stands and, and you know, that's good for the league, it might not be the best public health situation, but I, I remain uh, open to be swayed there. Uh, but I, I think ultimately after the league takes stock uh, of what happens this summer with the NBA, the NHL and MLB, WNBA, things like that, They'll probably. I, I still, I still am firmly on the side of no fans as the as the most likely outcome. But it, I, I think I've changed my prior a little bit. Are you pro um, pumped in fan noise? No, I look. I I like the idea of having like virtual fans and and having sort of like two screens on the bottom. I don't like the pumped in fan noise because I don't know. It just feels weird. Um. Here's here's something that I was thinking about. If they don't have pumped in fan noise, and you can hear players, do they get so scared about cursing that they put a delay on? And if they put a delay on, can you not bet live? I don't think you can bet live to begin with anyway, right? Because there's the delay is already too substantial. You know, like if, if I'm live betting a game, I I don't bet until there are commercials or I'm at the game. Like mm-hmm. the 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 lag is too substantial. Um, it's worse for sports like basketball and soccer that are more free flowing in the NFL. It's still not great. Um, but you're right. The delay, I think the delay is trivial. I mean, most people are streaming anyway, and they're already 20 ish seconds behind. So uh, I could see them putting a delay in. I think it'd be really fun to hear how people talk. Um, we saw it a little bit in the XFL, uh, you know, with, with being able to hear the, the coach talk to the quarterback. I think those types of things, even though it would, question into the competitive advantage um I, I think that would be pretty entertaining i mean there's a lot, a lot of opportunity for the league this year to do a pretty good job uh of of giving us a product that, that's unique and unprecedented yeah I'm, I'm for hearing the players i just don't know if coaches want want you to right yep. like i i i think coaches like to feel as though what they say to their players is between them and their players and i don't think they're going to want you to be able to hear it so uh, as much as i'd love it i just i have a hard time seeing that much unfettered access happen all right the the match let me tell you what i did as i said last week i was going to bet on phil and brady because they were huge underdogs and the point is you just have no idea what's going to happen in this situation so take the underdog so i did i then watched phil mickelson's uh instagram video about i don't know is it three hours before the match happened Fell in love with it. It was the type of just ridiculous confidence and arrogance, and it made no sense. So I then I, I bet some more. And then when I saw that it was going to be raining, I was like, oh, this is going to be a total disaster. Peyton is going to you know hurt himself or something. His stiff neck's going to really stiffen up. Uh, Brady's going to be pliable. This is exact. I bet more. So I was very much you on shoved Nicholson it. You shoved it. all the chips into the middle of the, all in. the table. I was all in, and I was so excited, man. I was sitting here. I like put my computer away. I refused to look at Slack, basically, unless 
it was you talking about how uh, disgusting Tom Brady was playing and I was trying to just enjoy it. Here was my big takeaway. This was really, really fun. It was a mm-hmm. blast to watch. And it, it was proof that watching athletes do anything is really exciting. And the gap between pros at any sport and even really good athletes trying to play that sport is insane. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Brady was – he looked – he was a disaster out there. Peyton Manning was really good. But like we didn't – I don't think we really got a sense of that because of how much better Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods were. I mean they were just – they're ridiculous at golf. That was my big takeaway. Yeah, and still not good enough. And even like a – you know, I'll, you'll tell me to bite my tongue, but even like a washed-up Tiger. Stop and, it. And, and sort of like a <laughs> – kind of washed up fill are like so much better than they are that Dude, it, it, it's sort of it was casual tiger yeah. was hitting every fairway it, he was not tiger's known as a grinder tiger wasn't grinding at all the dude yeah. was just like he could have it was like jordan shooting free throws with his eyes closed and i'm sure how brady and manning could run an offense with like a hand tied behind their back like he was not grinding at all and was just flushing it down yeah. the middle Every time the way Phil was basically helping Tom Brady do anything decent was incredible. Um, and they still had a chance. That was the incredible thing. If Tom Brady hadn't missed a couple of short putts. Now I know he made the Eagle putt that got him closer, but like they legitimately had some chances to get yeah. that to extra, extra holes. I was not, I lost, they lost the by one stroke, right? They were up by one, uh, by one. Yeah. It was match play. So they were up by one hole going into like the last three, and they had a couple of chances. Honestly, Peyton Manning, um, so it was the par three, I want to say it was the 16th. And Brady sticks it close. Mickelson, I think, sticks it close. And Manning, out of his, he and Woods, got within like three feet. Woods hit it to like 20 feet. So if Manning doesn't make that huge par three shot, he was good on all of the par threes, you know, which I, there's a joke in there about Manning not being able to throw anything downfield, but just being accurate in the short round. <laughs> um, like if it hadn't been for Peyton Manning, yeah. that that's probably going to extra holes. Yeah, I, I thought I it was made, fantastic. I made one bet. It was at plus one sixty five. It was a day before, and we that bet lost. And I and I don't know if it's because they improved. They you know made it into a match late. I, I don't feel bad about it at all. No, I I. I do not regret it for a second. Um, if you had to pick, so I'm not sure if you could pick two other golfers. I think Phil and Tiger are the best two. If you had to pick two other NFL players, uh, or actually just two two other athletes right now, who would you put with them? Oh, um, I think people would be remarkably surprised at how good Steph Curry would do. Oh, he'd be amazing. He's actually good. What yeah. about Curry? But, but also Roma? just as a just as a person. Like I feel like Curry has this like has this stigma of being like, you know, too nice and too mm-hmm. but I bet you he's a competitor out there. Um if so you I would put go, Curry and Romo, both of whom are legit golfers, that could be interesting. Yeah. So I think Curry is one of them. Um and I don't know. I mean, Curry is a basketball player, so what if you put like Curry and like like Mike Trout. Mike Trout would be interesting. Have you seen you know, the video of him hitting uh, yeah. Top Golf? Dude, yeah. the- I mean, he probably could hit 300 yard bombs like relatively frequently. Probably, yeah. With so, ease. Yeah. So, you know, football is obviously the most, uh, you know, popular sport in the U.S. and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, Manning and Brady was a, was a great get. Um, you know, Michael's obviously a clear choice, but like, if you do like active athletes, I think Curry and like Trout would be a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. I think Michael Jordan is the mist. If you could get Michael Jordan on there, I think you'd have the entire world watching. Cause you right. just be like, this guy's a degenerate gambler. This is going to be incredible. <laughs> um, just loves to compete. Uh, I, I think that, um, I think Tony Romo would be fascinating on there. I think Larry Fitzgerald would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron Rodgers was another guy. Like I think Aaron Rodgers. I feel like I that would be so cringeworthy, right? Because Rodgers is such kind of a. Yeah, but I kind of want to see that. I, yeah. I thought those guys did a really good job of being normal 
normal dudes, and I kind of want to see some 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 players who might some not pettiness. be as normal. Some, yeah, some, uh, I really want to see it. Gotcha. Manning and Brady clearly had too much respect for one another. Like, and I, I, and they have too much self awareness. Yes, they were. Brady not melting down was incredible. What would I be doing if I was hitting it like Tom Brady? I know, I, I've seen you throw a basketball into the rafters after losing to me. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't that. be good. Oh, <laughs> but man. Rogers, Rogers would cuss out the beer, the beer cart gal for like being like for getting him like a dogfish head instead of a fat tire. You know, yeah, like that's Rogers. I don't know about that. I, I think. <laughs> I think Rodgers would have some some kind of pre-planned jokes that he'd be throwing out. Yeah, um, it would just be cringeworthy, I feel like. I'd love to see it. Uh, okay, we're going to get out of here on this. Um, we are giving away uh, an Edge subscription to um, Orson PFF Swag to five-star reviews that ask us a good question. Now, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to read this question. But um, at Cole Blau, don't know if he's related to David Blau. No idea. At Cole Blau 6, um, had a really good question that I'll just leave for everyone to think about. If you had $100 to spend in a blind auction with all 31 other GMs, how much would you be willing to invest at quarterback, wide receiver, on down the list? Um, that's Great a really question. good question. And he also threw in a bonus recipe, which is to check out Alton Brown's smoked meatloaf. It has barbecue, uh, it says beef, pork, barbecue chips chilies and more which actually doesn't sound terrible and i hate meatloaf but uh hopefully if you guys are out there and you're looking for something to cook maybe this is something you can uh, make happen so alden brown smoked meatloaf is his thought real quick how much are you spending out of 100 on a quarterback uh 30 okay i think i could be tempted to get closer to to 40 50 if I can get Mahomes, it might be hard for me to to, to not risk yeah. it all. I um, would. If, uh, it depends uh, upon the quarterback, but yeah, thirty. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. By the way, leave us a five star review, ask us a question, send us a take, a recipe, whatever it is, uh, and we'll read it here and throw you a free sub. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate it. Stay safe. Peace out.